Welcome into the Card Chronicle podcast, uh, where we're going to talk about some not-so-cool stuff for the first time in 2021. It's been an uh, I mean, overwhelmingly positive start to the year, if you've been listening to the pod since the, the calendar flip 2021, and now um, it's going to be not so great. We kind of, it, here was my, my goal, because originally we were going to do a pod uh, Sunday night to kind of recap the Miami game and then get everybody ready for this, this big week where we're going to host my Florida State on Monday and then uh, Duke on Saturday. That, that was my intention. But because the Miami game happened, I was really selfishly hoping that Florida State would come here and lay an egg and we'd win that game and we'd have just positive stuff to talk about today and kind of put, brush the Miami game aside. But uh, Dan Sennard, that did not happen. We, we've got two losses to talk about, one uh, a surprise on Saturday, one um, less of a surprise on Monday, but still sort of surprising as far as the manner in which it happened. And I guess we have to start with this. If if we're talking about a scale of one to ten, your panic level based on the last two games that we've seen and kind of where Louisville basketball is right now, where are you at this moment? Oh man, if you would ask me that after the Miami game, I probably panic level would have been at about a maybe a four. I mean, that was just a, a no show. Um, but. I still, I was like, you know what, we, I think we still have the horses. Um, you know, maybe we were due for one of those games. I'm not going to put too much stock in it. And then last night, although, I mean, yes, Florida State did look really good. Um, but to come out the way we did, it's obviously a trend. I mean, I, I would say I'd probably be at about a, a six and a half right now, especially with what we have coming up on Saturday. I mean, Losing three in a row is not great for the old resume. So I don't know. I just, it's every year, like you almost forget the feeling after these losses. You're like, you know, you go through the off season and then you start out and you win some games. And then if you lose a couple in a row, you're like, God, this just absolutely sucks. Like, I just hate this feeling. Um, So I know the game is on Saturday, but for me, it can't get here soon enough because I want to get this taste out of my mouth. This is a legitimate question. Like, what can we possibly do to make these starts better? Like, I mean, if you're Chris Mack at this point, because I assume he was like effort level last night. Again, we're recording this on Tuesday, so when I say last night, I'm talking about the the Monday night game. I didn't think the effort level was terrible coming out of the gate against Florida State. It was obvious that you know Mack had had been really upset after the Miami game and had kind of harped on. You guys can't come out of the locker room sleepwalking again. That was inexcusable. Like they they were playing hard, they just weren't playing very well or nearly as physical as as they need to. But like I just I don't understand how this team, which has been more or less good, I mean they're nine and three right now. They've only won the opening segment three times so far this season, and for the year they are I believe minus thirty three in the opening five minutes of games. Like. Do you tape videos of their worst enemies, trashing them and play them before? I, I, I don't know what the fix is here because they know they've sucked at the beginning of games. Their opponents know they've sucked at the beginning of games. Everybody knows they have sucked at the beginning of games. And yet it keeps happening, keeps happening, keeps happening. And it, it just it, it seems like they need to get punched in the face every single night out before they finally start playing. And, and, and I just I don't get it at all. Yeah. And I mean. Here's where I stand on it. When we got down like 42-18, I, I honestly think it was like the energy level was so much different from then on. I was like, why can't we start out the game like this? I mean, David Johnson looked like a completely different player yeah. once we got, got down 20 points, which 
is great, but it shouldn't take you getting in a hole to be able to start playing like that. And I think it's a combination of that and a combination of just, you know, a, a number of things which Chris Matt touched on in his press conference, just paying attention to details. I mean, if you're if they're, you know, going to hit threes over us and there's, you know, no reason to let our guy drive by as well. I mean, it's got to be one or the other. If, if you're letting our guys, you know, if you're letting them get in the lane and hit threes, you know, getting wide open shots and hitting threes, obviously the, the pack line's not working. Your attention to detail is not working. So, I mean, they definitely have to clean it up. If, if that means shaking up the starting lineup, um, I know Quinn started the second half. Uh, I mean, if you're just, if I'm being honest, I feel a lot more comfortable with him on the court right now than Sam. Um, I don't know. I mean, they, they got some evaluating to do in practice coming up. Here's what I, this is what the Florida state game last night did to me above anything else. It made me about 50 times more pissed about the Miami game because Florida state is it, full disclosure. If we had recorded a pod on Sunday or, or yesterday previewing the game, I would have picked Florida state to win. I think it's just. Like, they're red hot. They shot, what, 70 fucking percent against NC State last week uh, and dropped 103 on their head. They uh, scored 82 against North Carolina, shot the ball really well in that game as well. Like, they are they are fully realizing their potential right now. And then you add in the fact that, you know, Leonard Hamilton kind of has Chris Mack's number. I know that's going to be a – it's going to keep being talked about until we get over the hump against them. I know that, you know, kind of the forgotten victory was the first time those two ever met. Xavier upset Florida State when that FSU team that was so good, I think they were a three seed, um, they, they upset them the year before Florida State returned the favor and knocked Chris Mack out of the tournament in his last game at Xavier. But, I mean, he is 0-4 against them since getting here to Louisville, so that's going to be discussed. But I didn't feel confident about that game going into it. I didn't think it would be quite the ass-kicking that it was, which maybe I should have given recent history. But it made me so furious about the Miami game on Saturday, and I was already really, really upset about it just because – that's a game, playing a Miami team, and don't get me wrong, I, I get that preseason expectations were there. They were a trendy dark horse pick. I liked the team a lot going into the year, but they were without four starters. They didn't have Chris Likes, who's their engine. They didn't have um, Cam Augusti, who's kind of their, their jack-of-all-trades guy. They didn't have Earl Timberlake, who's been a phenomenal freshman, a guy that we recruited really heavily. And they didn't have Rodney Miller or Sam Wardenberg, who both are out for the year. One of those guys would have been their starting center. They've got four starters out, and they're a one-in-five team in the ACC regardless. They lost to Florida Gulf Coast, the same FGCU team that just got swept by fucking Bellarmine. They lost to them at home. That's a game where when you're riding high, if you're really the 16th best team in the country and you're vying for an ACC title and you're getting all these accolades nationally, you take care of business. And we didn't. We came out and it was I mean, it was overly apparent from the jump that we weren't ready to play. And Max after the game, they had, they had a bad practice on Friday. They you know, weren't focused going into the game. And it was it was very, very obvious. And this team, I, I mean, They've got. To, they're not good enough to do this shit. Like, they are not good enough to just show up, go through the motions, and walk over anybody in this conference. And really, not not that many teams nationally. They don't have that much skill. So, I, when you have those types of performances, it sets. It, there's a domino effect. You mentioned, you know, Florida State getting wide open looks early in the game and knocking all those down. I, I think part of the reason that happened was because we allowed. Miami to have so many straight line drives for easy buckets, especially in the first half of the game. We were so lazy on defense. There was, you know, nobody helping, nobody moving their feet. And we let a team that was really shorthanded and really only had one solid offensive threat 
go right to the rack and kill us with dunks and layups. Now, we adjusted late in the first half and we're better in the second half in that regard. But I think going into the, the, the Florida State game, then all of a sudden you are so focused on not letting guys get to the rim that you're overhelping or, or you're hanging off of shooters. And Florida State turns around. They're a, a incredibly good three-point shooting team and they light you up from the outside. If you have the full attention to detail, the full focus, the full intensity against Miami, and you do what you're supposed to do in that game, you don't have those little mental hurdles. You, you don't have the thought about overhelping in your in your head. And maybe you play a little bit different against Florida State. Every game builds on it on, on the others in, in college basketball. And when you have one shitty effort just thrown in there, it has the potential to, to really spiral and and lead to a string of, of really bad performances. And I think we saw that Saturday and Monday. So that's just the Miami game to me was infinitely more frustrating than the Florida State game. Yeah, I 100% agree on that point. And and you wonder as a fan base is the thing I'm most scared of is ha- have these first two to three months been fool's gold? I mean, you look at some of our good wins. It's like, okay, Seton Hall coming off zero practice time. You know, Western, who's actually, you know, already lost to in, in Conference USA, uh, we beat Pitt without, you know, Justin or, or Justin Champini, their best player, one of the ACC's best players. Um, you know, Kentucky obviously down this year, uh, and our 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 losses are against, a, you know, a, a physical Wisconsin team, a physical Florida State team, and a Miami team that that manhandled us for for one half of that game. So, you know, I, I, the thing that kind of makes me upset is. Everyone's like, oh, well, even our best game last night, I don't know if we're going to beat Florida State. Well, I would like to see our best game one of these days because we really haven't put together one good full game, it seems like, all year except maybe, you know, one game at the beginning of the year. Um, We go on maybe, you know, a good five, six-minute spurt every once in a while. But we're getting, you know, almost the end of January. It's time for this team to put an actual full game together of 40 minutes. And and then, you know, hopefully we can judge them off that instead of, uh, I don't know. It's just, I'm, I'm kind of at a loss right now. I think Chris Mack and the coaching staff is as well. It's just, it's frustrating, but I mean, all they can do is, you know, go back, watch film and, and try to get better for Duke. And this is how quickly things can change in college basketball. I mean, on Friday, we're talking about, again, we were number 16 in the country. We were number 25 in the net. Our Ken Palm, I think, was 22. We're talking about competing for an ACC title. Uh, you know, in bracketologies across the Internet, we're three seed, four seed, five seed. Now, all of a sudden, what you were just alluding to is going to get brought up all week long. And it's really going to get ratcheted up uh, you know, several notches if we do lose to Duke on Saturday, which is, you know, how good does this seem really? Uh, all of a sudden, we're number 42 in the net. We're 39 on Ken Palm. We only have one quadrant one win, and it was on the road um, at Pitt, who, like you said, they didn't have Justin Champagne. They, they didn't have Aldis Tony, who's their second leading scorer. They didn't have either one of those guys. That win, um, and, and, I mean, again, I think it's kind of silly that we're grading quad one wins based on the old formula, where if you beat a top 75 team on the road, it's a quad one win, but you have to beat a top, what, I think 30 team at home to get, to get a quad one victory. So uh, maybe that should be adjusted, but that's a topic for another day, but that's the only quad one win we have. We have a quad two win over Virginia Tech. Um, Seton Hall is flirting with getting into the top 50. That could become a, a quad two victory. But the resume, unless we pick it up, and, and, and if you don't pick it up, then all of a sudden you're putting a significant amount of pressure on yourself to you know, win at least one of those games against Virginia because their computer numbers are pretty good um, and, and be good against the rest of the conference. So 
we've sort of backed ourselves into a hole here that was really easily avoidable if you just take care of business against Miami. Even if the Florida State game plays out exactly the way it did, which was you pretty much got your ass kicked, you're 5-1 and one in the league, you're 10-2 and two overall, you've got no bad losses, you've got a, a couple of solid enough wins, and you feel like you're in pretty good shape going into the stretch run. But uh, all of a sudden, there is significant pressure on this team going into this weekend against Duke. It's a Duke team that's in a, a, kind of a similar spot, and we're going to talk more about that game on the next podcast, but just briefly... Duke is reading the national headlines, which is having them lumped into Kentucky struggles. You know, every college basketball writer right now has written something about the top 25 doesn't have Duke. It doesn't have Kentucky. It doesn't have North Carolina. Could we see a tournament without all those three? And they're like right now, they're trying to change that narrative. And you're going to get their best shot on Saturday. They play Pitt tonight, a Pitt team that's been pretty good in recent weeks once they've gotten healthy. Uh, Curious to see how that goes. But even if they even if they do beat Pitt, doesn't really matter what happens here they're going to be equally desperate on Saturday. They're not going to come in here just going through the motions. You're not going to be able to pick them off uh, as easily as you would if maybe they were overlooking you. But it's just this team, is. it feels like they're backed into a corner now, and that was an easily avoidable situation. Uh, I, I want to talk, you mentioned David Johnson. I, I kind of wanted to bring him up really quickly because out of all the guys on, on Saturday that were a little bit disappointing, I thought David played the worst game just because – you can't. We can't beat anybody in the ACC with him playing the way he did. And Mac mentioned after the game that he had been a little bit, bit banged up in practice on Friday. There was a play where he came up limping after he made a layup, but he just was, he was non-existent on both ends of the floor. Didn't really get involved in the offense. Hit a meaningless late three that was his only made jump shot of the game. Uh, made some poor decisions and just a, a several times got caught just ball watching. There were loose balls and he was just kind of standing there. It was a very frustrating performance. And I kind of was. I guess I was comforted by the fact that he was a little bit dinged up because at least there was some excuse there. And then he comes out last night against Florida State and looks pretty much the same in in the opening minutes, takes a jump shot on the first possession. Uh, He's getting beat off the dribble a bunch, looks a little bit lethargic. He comes up limping a couple of times. And then it was like Matt got in his ear and said, look, if you're not going to go 100%, you're not going to play at all. And he turned it on and he was fantastic for the last 25 minutes, which was awesome. It gave us a shot to get back in the game. But I don't understand why he, if he was capable of doing that, why was he playing at, at half speed for the first 15 minutes? And why was he playing at half speed for the entire game against Miami? Am I being too harsh here? Or did you see something similar? No, I mean, I, I think it's definitely, I, I, you know, people that watched it, 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 he definitely put it in a different gear once we got down 20. And as excited as I was to see it at the time, like you said, you're like, where the hell was that? you know, the first 10 minutes of the game or against Miami, it was non-existent. Um, I don't know. I, I, I do wonder with how much Carleek has, you know, kind of, I don't want to say he's dominated the ball, but he's definitely, I mean, if you ask David Johnson going into his UofL career, um, you know, how much he'd have the ball in his hands, I doubt he would ever predict that he would be deferring to someone in his sophomore year. And that's probably taken a little bit of toll on him and he's had to adjust a little bit. Um, but I don't know. I mean, it's, it's mid January. You'd figure that they'd, you know, kind of be able to, um, I don't want to say even out their touches, but figure out a way for both of them to be successful by now. But I just hope that he is not deferring to car leak um, too much, but it was nice to see him, you know, I, cause I was just, I was as nervous as you. I was like, God, if he is nicked up, I mean, we're in pretty bad shape coming up to this weekend against Duke as well. Um, but at least we know he has that in him. So now he's set the expectation. I mean, this is what we should expect from him every game. Um, but 
I don't know. It, it's tough. I, it's hard to blame one guy, and I'm, I'm certainly not blaming David. I don't think you are either. Um, but this is, in my opinion, it's David and Carleek's team. So it, it's their job to get everyone involved right now. I mean, last night, Dre Davis was 0-2, had two rebounds. I mean, as a, as a guard, you got to recognize that and make sure you're getting, you know, someone like that who's a, a key part of your team involved in the game. So, I don't know. A lot of stuff they need to work out. I don't know if I'm more worried about the offensive end or the defensive end right now. It seems like we're having scoring lulls, but we're also giving stuff up on defense. So, like, um, I don't know. It's it's a tough spot right now. Yeah, I would also say that Dre has to get himself involved in these games, too, because he's been a no-show for, for two straight games. In Miami, he had zero rebounds until the very, like, like I think the last minute. He had a put-back attempt and then grabbed a meaningless, just kind of throwaway shot. Uh, and he only had two rebounds again last night. Didn't score. Took th- three shots. And his shot selection, the Dre Davis three-point watch, is <laughs> it's on life support here. I mean, the, the air ball three at a key moment against Miami for the wing. I was the just, Miami <laughs> air balls were outright. Like, the misses weren't just misses. I was like, holy shit, these are awful. <laughs> it, it was, yeah, it, it was bad. But to go back to your point, um, with David Johnson – in the Miami game, it was the first time that I really noticed a stark difference in the way that teams were defending him because he's been shooting the, the three so well this year. I mean, going into the year, it was everybody backing off him, help defender ready to slide over and, and keep him out of the lane. And now since he's you know shooting damn near 50% from three for the year, teams are playing up on him. And that should open up a lot of gears for him. But instead, he was getting steps on guys against Miami and then settling for pull-up jumpers once the, the rim protector stepped up. Go all the way to the rim. And you saw that last night. He was doing that in the first half. Once he and Carleek both made a concerted effort to get all the way to the rim, they were scoring. I don't want to say they were scoring at will, but they were spearheading that charge. They were fantastic at doing that. And Florida State is still a collectively good shot-blocking team, but they're not like they, they have been in the past. They don't have that seven foot four elite rim protector. Balsa Kopervika is is good enough, but he's not that guy. Like, like he he should, he you saw it last night. I mean, when he was challenged, Louisville had a decent amount of success at the at the rim. They didn't in the first five minutes, but they did once they made a concerted effort to get there. And that's got to be his mentality moving forward. Is if teams are respecting my outside shot now, that opens up the strongest part of my game. Not just getting a step on guys, but getting all the way to the rim. Uh, Carleek does it really well. David needs to do it a little bit better, and, and he did in the second half last night. But uh, it can't just be those two guys. You've got to have a third player step up. Um, Louisville's been its best this season when Dre Davis has been at his best. Jalen Withers is, you know, he, he's giving you more on offense right now than he's giving you on defense, which is understandable given that he's he's kind of playing out of position at the five. But you mentioned the Sam Williamson stuff. Like I didn't think he was he, he was terrible against Miami. He, he was a complete no show which was really disappointing after we thought he'd all tur- he'd turn the corner with the, with the Wake Forest performance. He wasn't as bad last night. He, he was a little bit slow defensively to start the game. Um, ended up scoring, I, I think, what, 12 points. Had a, five or six rebounds. He was okay, but he's got to be better than okay. We've got to find that solid third guy, and if it's not going to be him, you go with the guy that you know is going to give you the, the gritty, scrappy, whatever cliche you want to use effort in Quinn Slazinski. But, I mean, I don't know. I, I just feel like we have more question marks than I was expecting at this point in the season. And then Josh Nickelberry probably has to be talked about, too, because he was completely lost defensively. And if he's doing nothing but missing three-pointers, which has been kind of what's been happening the last week and a half, what are you really getting out of, out of playing him? And, and if Charles Midland's not healthy enough to go, then uh, I, I guess he has to have those minutes. But, man, it's just 
some guys are really, really going to need it to turn it up a notch or five here in these next couple of weeks. Yeah, you're exactly right. I, I was just going through the whole roster, and I mean, we're going to have to have some guys that probably play over their head a little bit here down the stretch if we want to do anything special in March. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm the same way as you. I mean, that second half, I think Chris kind of fell asleep leaving Josh Nickelberry out there for too long. I mean, he was out there four or five minutes, and I mean, if he's not making shots, he's not really doing anything because it looks like he's scared to dribble and drive the ball. And, um, you know, you if that's get, the case. You think that the microwave nickname went straight to it? <laughs> yeah, I, that might have that might have been a quick trigger. But I mean, I, I I I do think he's capable of shooting. He's just going through a little bit of a slump right now. And like when you get the kind of sporadic minutes that he gets, it's it's kind of tough to get into a rhythm. So I somewhat sympathize with him, but. Um, you know, when we were, I mean, the game was still in hand and, you know, they were taking him down low and, and, you know, scoring easy buckets there. And I don't know, I, I think, uh, it's tough, you know, I, Charles Minlin, I, I would really, I know Chris is probably trying to find a time to get him back into the fold, but man, we could really use his offense right now. Um, I mean, it, it just seems like we're dying for a consistent third score. Um, and I at least want to see what he can give us. Uh, I, I do remember at the beginning of the year when before the season, before he got hurt, Chris Mack said that he specifically pointed out Charles Menlin saying that he needed to step it up on defense. Um, so I think, you know, with what we saw in his limited minutes um, that he had against Miami, um, and just kind of coming off the injury, I, I think Chris might be a, a little bit hesitant to play him, but we hopefully should have some games where we're able to kind of work him into the rotation. But, I mean, we, we need something. We need offense. Um, and, yeah, I don't know. It's There's not really too much you can say right now. It, it, you just got to hope that they come out Saturday with a different demeanor. Yeah, Mac basically said after the Wake Forest game when Midland played a minute and – you know, did he passed up a wide open shot from the corner for three, and then got beat off the dribble twice to give up two easy baskets. And and Mac basically said after the game like he's he's not ready. And said he had a long talk with him about. Him. This is Midland's. He's had I think three knee injuries since he's been in college. And Mac talked about, you know, I went through the same thing when I was playing, and it's the most frustrating thing in the world to be out there and just not being able to move the way that you're accustomed to. And it's it it, it takes a toll on you mentally. And I think he's. I think he's weary of bringing Charles back a little bit too soon uh, and having him just, you know, deal with that mental stuff. Because Midland's been a scorer throughout his entire life. He's been a guy who's been one of the best players, if not the best player on his team at every level that he's he's been a part of. And that's not going to be the case when he comes back. And if he's not ready for that challenge mentally, then uh, maybe it takes a little bit of a toll on him and winds up hurting the team. So I think that's where Mac is with him. And to go back to, um, to, to the point, ever since you compared yourself to Josh Nickelberry, <laughs> the former sixth man on a average Trinity high school basketball team, Josh Nickelberry has started playing like the sixth man from an average Trinity basketball team. He's just not giving us a whole lot out there, uh, missing open shots. We should, uh, like you and I are in the same U of L text group. Our buddies, we were texting during the game and like, we had been kind of like, there was a, a Josh Nickelberry roast session at one point, and right after we we just finished it, he had that wide open look when we were making the comeback. I think we just got it down to ten or to eight, and if he'd buried it, it would have been the perfect timing. And said he missed it by about four feet, so that's got to change a little bit. But I, last night's game, 
because we're, we're talking about the Florida State games in, in recent years, which it, it is staggering to look at this historical series. We've played um, fairly consistently since 1968. We were members of the Metro Conference together. Um, obviously, then they were in the ACC when we, we were in the Big East, so there was a little bit of a gap there. But going back to 2016-17, Rick Pitino's last year, when we started that season, we were 32-9 and all-time against these guys. Now we're 34-15. and They've won four in a row. They've won six out of eight. We had never lost more than two in a row to them all time. And the only time we'd lost two in a row to them was, I think, 1978. And it's not just that they're beating us. Like, they're kicking the shit out of us. And then yeah. they're, like, they're talking shit while they're doing it. They're, like, physically beating us up down low. They threw L's down at us last year in Tallahassee. They threw L's down at us again last night, even though we had no crowd there. It is just, like, like to use the word that everybody else used last night after the game, like, they're, they've just been punking us. And I'm kind of tired of it. I mean, this is, this is Florida State. This is a program that has a banner hanging in their home arena for finishing third in the AP poll last year. Like, they, they, they should not be doing this to us. And I know that it frustrates Chris Mack more than anybody. Um, but it's just like they've become I, – I really dislike their program. And you know who I feel the most sorry for is my poor dad. Because nobody hates Leonard <laughs> Hamilton more than my dad. I almost asked you about. I was like, oh has God. Glenn changed his stance on the, the Leonard Hamilton coaching ability yet, or is he sticking to his guns that he's terrible? Well, the, the thing is, like, so for anybody who doesn't know, I, I think I've told this story before, but my dad, when he was back in his journalism days, he was embedded with the UK basketball team. I think it was 1982, 83. It could be wrong about it. It was one of the Joe B. Hall teams. Um, they beat Charles Barkley and Auburn to go to Elite Eight, maybe. I, again, the details are a little bit sketchy to me. But he was with the team when Leonard Hamilton was an assistant coach. And he wrote a book. They were doing kind of the the season on the brink thing, the, the John Feinstein book that he wrote about Indiana. The Courier Journal paid my dad to do this, and, and it was a big project. And my dad walked away. There were a lot of people with U.K. basketball that he did not like. It, it's pretty much the reason why my family just has a, uh extreme amount of disdain for U.K. basketball. But Leonard Hamilton was at the top of the list, and my dad has always hated him. He went on my radio show, RIP. Uh, I had him on, I think, for Father's Day. We did a show, and he called Leonard Hamilton an abysmal human being within the first five minutes and then refused to take it back. He was like, no. He's like, that wasn't – he started – he's like, oh, he's like, I may have been too harsh. No, you know, I, I was Like, he hates Leonard Hamilton, and he hates the fact that now, because he's got a good social media team, people are starting to love Leonard Hamilton. Like, he's this new – you know, just adorable old man who's he looks like he's 50, even though he's 72 and all this stuff. Like my poor dad is just he, he's hating this. And now he's just he's kicking our ass. And it just it sucks. I'm, I'm sick of losing to Florida State. First off, Glenn, your dad is my favorite UofL fan. And like not that I ever want to see UofL struggle, but when they do, I know every once in a while I'll get a picture of a text thread between you and your dad. And it's some of the best comedy out there. Like, if these things ever saw the light of day, I mean, you could make a book out of some of these texts. They're absolutely hysterical. But, no, I mean, you're right. Like, we definitely just got bitched by them last night. I mean, they punked us from, you know, beginning to end. And, like, quite frankly, I'm, I'm pretty sick of it. I mean, it took, like, I mean, I was glad to see Jalen Withers throw down that dunk and kind of stare down Balsa and talk shit. Like, we need that. Like, at the beginning of the game, I mean, if we're going to come out slow, like, get yourself hyped up. Like, talk shit to the other team in warm-ups. Like, start, you know, a brouhaha. Do whatever you do to got to get yourself hyped up because we're just coming out completely flat and getting punched in the mouth every single game, and it's got to change. Um, but, I mean, 
God, Florida State does have some dudes. I mean, Raekwon Gray, I mean, I had serious Patrick Williams vibes watching him last night. I mean, he is a beast. Um, I mean, I got to give Leonard Hamilton credit for the recruits that he's bringing in. I mean, Scotty Barnes is, uh, I mean, he's going to be a, a top 10, top 15 pick. Uh, and, I mean, they're balanced. They got players across the board. So, I mean, obviously, it's no shame losing to Florida State, but it's it's the way that they just kind of punked us all over the floor last night. That's what I was embarrassed about. And this was another game where it felt like we kind of caught some breaks as far as their personnel. Like Anthony Polite, who's their third leading scorer and their best three-point shooter, he didn't play. Um, you mentioned Scotty Barnes. He didn't play in their last game against UNC and came off the bench in this game. He's been dealing with an ankle injury and, of course, comes in and just lights it up immediately. MJ Walker, their leading scorer, only scores two points. He does have 10 assists. But they're just so deep, and they have so many – Like it, it's like they're just somehow – creating the DNA and just using like models of the same, reproducing the same players year after year after year. They just have these monsters. And of course, Balsa Koprovica, um, if that name sounds familiar to you, the guy who was, he, he was the centerpiece of the, the famous Jordan fair meeting in Las Vegas that was uh, taped under surveillance. He was one of the subjects that was talked about on the Will Wade tapes. And then after that, of course he goes and chooses to, to play basketball at Florida state just because, he loves Tallahassee in spring and loves the uh, the communications program at FSU. Just a real <laughs> student of the game. That's why he goes down there and, and plays for Leonard. And, of course, after doing nothing for a couple of years, he has, like, the greatest two-minute span of a college basketball player this year where he's dunking on everybody and, and yelling stuff. And you mentioned the like, – like, he and Withers getting into it. I don't know if, if people were paying attention to this. There were about five or six straight possessions where – I mean, Withers and Balsa came very close to just straight up fist fighting. Like, like Jalen at one point, like shoved him out of his hands. And Doug Shouts is looking at this and just being like, I don't see anything. Like, like just didn't call anything. And that was another part of the start of the game. And I know I'm all over the place here. But I really felt like the officials just let them, because Florida State's going to beat the shit out of you literally if they can get away with it. And they were just pounding us. And the officials were letting it go. And we were kind of you know, looking at them and being like, are you guys going to do anything about this? And it took us just like 10 minutes to kind of realize this is the way the game is going to be called. And if we're going to accomplish anything, we've got to be just as physical as they are. And we started doing that and we started making a little bit of a run. But, I mean, you've got to respond quicker than that. You've got to see, sense the way that the game is being officiated. You know how Florida State wants to play. And if the, the, the stripes are going to let them play that way, you've got to respond in turn. And it, it took us way too long to get there. But, man, Balsa... He showed why he was so highly sought after. We'll put it that way. It was, I mean, the two most heartbreaking fast breaks going in either direction. The Balsa fast break where he missed it and had the putback dunk. And then, I mean, you know, you were tweeting about this, that when we cut it to eight, uh, the fucking Carly David Johnson fast break, I about broke my fucking remote control. That, that was... Uh, that was painful. I mean, you expect those two guys in a break to be able to convert and finish. And, you know, obviously when they threw that away, uh, momentum switch, and that was the ball game. But, God, I mean, uh, we I, I, I hate to be the guy that, oh, we expended so much energy coming back. We, we just ran out of legs. I don't believe that's true. I mean, I, I just think we started playing better. Um, but, obviously, the momentum switched right after that. I mean, I need a solid, like, two weeks of therapy to process that fast break because I mean, we, I'm not saying we would have won had we converted that, but I, I would have been very interested if there's an alternate reality where Carly Jones is a little bit more selfish on that fast break. 
finishes. Maybe he finishes and gets fouled and cuts the lead to five. I, I would be very curious to see is what that, happens. Is that fast break more on Carleek or David Johnson? Because, I mean, David kind of, I don't want to say he veered into him, but he was pretty close to him running on the right side. I mean, Carleek definitely could have switched over to the left side and spread him out a little bit. But David also could have flared out a little bit to give him some room to operate. It was just, it was botched all the way around. They both did the wrong thing. I mean, David, you're right. He veered in too late. But I think it's more on Carly because either you've got to go one-on-one in that situation and finish on your own, and he had a step on the guy, or you give it to him five feet earlier. You either got to give it up earlier or you take it all the way. And he did neither of those things and instead tried to make a, a two-foot pass that got lost. But, I mean, if you go back and – I watched the sequence earlier this morning. If you go back and watch that, like, those three minutes – Florida State was all out of sorts. Like, like they were kind of sniping at each other. Um, they were lost defensively. They were not responding well to the pressure that Louisville was applying. Like there, there was a window there where it could have been really interesting down the stretch. And instead, we give the ball away on that break. They get a dunk on the other end. We end up turning the ball over on four straight possessions. And at that point, it's just uh, it's lights out. I wrote this after the Miami game, but going back to my dad again, there were probably like eight or nine times growing up where my dad – would have to, quote, go and take a drive in the middle of Louisville games or immediately after losses. And, like, the the the, the Carly botched fast break was the, the biggest, I, I almost had to take a drive moment in my daddom so far. Like, I was almost like, I'm, I'm out of here. I, I, need a, I need 10 minutes driving around St. Matthews by myself, listening to sad music just to collect my thoughts here because, my God, that was just absolutely brutal. But, the, I mean, everything about the last two games was, was pretty brutal. Yeah, and I mean – the turnovers, I mean, like, the out-of-bounds turnovers pissed me off more than anything. Like, you can get the ball in bounds. Like, they were just so, like, Sam made a soft inbounds pass. Like, you know, when, when someone throws it to us, we're not going to get the ball. Um, I, I don't know. There's just so many things I can gripe at the way they've played the last two games. And, I mean, we know that they're, they're capable of playing way better than this. Um, and, that, and that's what the frustrating thing is. But... You know, I don't, I don't want to shit on him too much, obviously. I mean, uh, there were some good moments. Jalen Withers has really played well the last two games, like you said, offensively. I, there was a couple times in the Miami game when he pulled up to shoot. I was like, oh, my God, what the hell are you doing? Like, I couldn't believe the shots he was taking when we were, like, losing the game by 10. And, I mean, he just confidently stepped up and buried him. So, I probably need to check myself a little bit, um, you know, being so pissed off about those. But uh, I'm really excited with how he's coming around. Um, but, I mean, the bottom line is just we got to get tougher. Um, I, our post defense, that is a huge liability for us. I know we are thin down there. Um, not a whole lot we can do on that until Malik gets back, if he comes back. Um, so that's obviously a big worry going forward. But, I mean, there's other areas in the, you know, and offense and defense that we can definitely improve on. But that is one one thing that, uh, you know, down the stretch, we're going to have to keep an eye on is our post defense. I know exactly what Jalen shot you're talking about more than the others. It was 28-19 against Miami. We had just airballed, I think, 75 three-pointers. In a row. <laughs> and, like, we broke their, their press. And Jalen gets the ball in the corner, like, right at the beginning of a possession and dribbles through his legs and takes that step back. We thought it was a three at the time, but it ended up being a two. And, I mean, when he when he rose up for the shot, in my mind, I was like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. Like, <laughs> That's exactly what I did. I was like, what are you doing? I was like, how 
He's like, this is the worst half of basketball I've ever seen. And he cans it. And then he just like cannot miss. Um, should we mention also, like, I got name dropped. Card Chronicle got name dropped. And it was in the most embarrassing manner possible. Because like, I talked to Jay Alter on the phone on Friday. He kind of talked to me. He's like, I love the site. Like, love what you've been writing. And he brings up the fact that uh, I said, it's, it's time to start talking about this team winning the ACC. And he brings it up in the second half when they're down 11 to a 1-5 Miami team. He's like, Card Chronicle. I was like, God damn it, not right now. But then we go on a big run, and I was I was ready for the whole like name drop, change this entire game narrative, and to kind of have fun with that. But uh, you know, I'm mad at Louisville. They ruined my my first broadcast name drop since uh, you know non-local name drop. I was upset about it. That's funny when when the name drop happened. Like my uh, youngest daughter Mallory, she she is sick over the weekend, so she was awake and and kind of fussy. So she was watching the game like in my wife's arms, and I was like standing there. I was like. Oh my God! I was like Kim. They just, they just said Mike's name, and she was like, "Will you give me the passy? Give me the passy! Hurry, go get go get the passy!" I was like, "But but they said Mike's name. Did you not hear it? They said his name. Like <laughs> like and I mean, obviously, when she settled out, she's like, "Oh really? That's cool." But I was like, "You don't even care." The reaction in my house was actually very similar. Like it was it was sadly I was sitting next to Kathy. We we gotten the uh, the baby down, and Mary. I don't even know what she was talking about, but she was very upset about something and was telling me a story. And like it happens, she like high fives me and she's like, that's great, babe. And then just like goes back into her story about what's making her upset. And I was just like, things are supposed to be different. This this was supposed to be a better shout out. But, uh, you know, whatever. but shout out to Jay Alter. I appreciate it. it. That was that was very cool. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, we've we've talked about Miami and Florida State here for what, 35, 40 minutes. Let me ask you this. Is there anything specific you're looking for, like in the Duke game or like in the upcoming games that. Either they've been bad at or, you know, that we haven't done these last two games. I mean, just more fight. There's no way to be, I'd say more fight and then sticking to a game plan, I guess, because it seems like we get thrown off of what we're like. Last night, it was apparent to me, at least, that we had a very specific game plan about attacking the rim against these guys. You know, let David and Carlique work get to the rim if they kick it out to open guys on the wing so be it if they find um you know open dre davis on the baseline because his man comes over to help so be it we did and we got our shots blocked a couple of times and we just totally stopped doing it like see it through if you heard um we probably should also mention the chris mack i think you alluded to it earlier the chris mack postgame press conference i don't know about you it made me feel a little bit better just because he is every bit as pissed off as we are. And he was saying a lot of the same things that I, I think I saw Louisville fans saying last night and that you and I are saying on this pod. I mean, he he's every bit as frustrated as we are. He took full responsibility, but he also mentioned, you know, like, like shit's got to get better. I, I know people love it when coaches cuss on, on these things, but I liked hearing that. I, I liked hearing his, you know, just kind of just overall frustration. It would rub me the wrong way if he was coming out and being like, kind of doing what Calipari is doing now at Kentucky, which is, implying that he knows more than everybody and you guys need to shut up like everything's totally fine everything's hunky-dory we're rolling like max he's he's frustrated he's pissed off he is he is the complete opposite of rick in his press conference like he knows exactly the temperament that the fan base is gonna have and he has like a perfect way of like kind of explaining like listen i'm trying to get them to work harder too like i know everyone else is frustrated like like (laughs) in in like a a Rick Patino coach world. Like he would have been like, I thought we did some good things and we got some stuff to build on. Like after like, we just watched the worst game of the season. I'd be like, what the hell is he talking about? Um, but 
yeah, I don't know. It was it was refreshing to see that he's just as pissed off as us. Um, I, I kind of feel bad for, for, for the players in practice this week. It probably is not going to be fun. Um, but I I wholeheartedly expect a better effort in the Duke game. Yeah, for the first time, I think since he took over here, he wasn't the first person to the the, the quote. I'm using podium and air quotes because I know they do the the press conferences virtually now. But he was talking to his team for so long. He sent Carleek out there to take questions, and then I think he's David Johnson was after Carleek too. So it was a solid 45 minutes before we got Chris Mack's post game press conference, and I think that shows just how pissed off he was. But you're totally right. Like I do, it is. I guess I'll use the word refreshing, even though this is year three of Chris Mack. It's nice to have somebody who I, I think we know isn't trying to spin anything. He's not trying to just kind of toy with you a little bit. He's not trying to play anything close to the best. He's open and honest about where he stands with everything. I mean, every time we had Rick Pitino on our radio show, he would do this thing. And, I mean, I played along. It was always fun. But he would ask me a question that seemed to have an obvious answer. And then it would be the exact like, – he'd be like, Mike, who, who do you think was the MVP of the Boston College game? <laughs> well, Donovan Mitchell scored 48 points, so I'm going to go with Donovan. He'd be like, Wrong. It was Malik Williams. Played two minutes, but gave us all the energy in the world. And I was like, okay, like that's that's. He was a captain from the bench. I was like, oh, okay, like what do, what do you want me to say to that? That's very interesting, Rick. Um, like Mac doesn't try to to you know do the whole like I've, I've like I've got an ace in my pocket. I know exactly what's going on. You guys don't even know what you're talking about, which uh, I do appreciate. But yeah, he's he's upset. He's he's furious. Um. We're going to move on real quickly. We have a couple of questions. We're not going to take a bunch of questions on today's pod just because we're going to save that for Thursday's episode. But I do want to remind you guys again, this podcast brought to you by our friends at Homefield Apparel. If you need some gear for the new year, um, I just got some new stuff in for for my wife's birthday, for my sister-in-law's birthday. Um, they're still selling the softest, coolest retro UofL hoodies you can find anywhere. They've got a bunch of other teams in now. They've got joggers in now. They've got all sorts of good stuff going on at Homefield Apparel. If you want to check out their full array of items, Go to homefieldapparel.com, and even if you don't buy Louisville stuff, if you buy a funny, I don't know, uh, Vermont shirt, I've got, I say that because I've got a Vermont hoodie. If you want a Vermont hoodie and a couple Louisville shirts, you can still use my, our promo code when you check out. It's Card Chronicle, all one word. That's going to save you 20% on your order. I would also suggest follow Homefield Apparel on social media if you're on Twitter or Instagram. On Twitter, it's Homefield Apparel without an E in apparel. Uh, on Instagram, it's Homefield Apparel. They're always bringing you their new deals, their new items, all their new stuff there. So big shout out to Homefield Apparel. Uh, all right, Dan, I, I said we're moving on, but do you have any sort of parting thoughts on Miami, Florida State, or can we turn the page on these horrible 48 hours forever? We're turning the page. We're throwing right. the fire. We're, we're dumping gasoline on it. Let's go. Let's move on. All right. I, I like that. Um, I, we did have a – this is kind of turning the page, I guess, but my guy Ben reached out. And I like this question. He says, I bought my first house this Saturday. Since then, we have two <laughs> abysmal basketball performances and a Lamar Jackson playoff loss. Do I have to sell this house? <laughs> I mean, if he's watched all the games from there, I mean, the first step is he, he at least has to go to some sort of establishment or a friend's house to watch the next game just to, to work out the cobwebs. And then if I were him, maybe slowly work my way back in like to, our, to my house when we play like Boston College so I can get an easy victory just to get the good vibes back in there. But that's a tough spot to be in. I, I, I would, uh, I'd hate to be a new home buyer putting that kind of juju on the new house. Sell the house, Ben. It's a buyer's market. You'll find something else. We're okay. Is it? A, I don't even. I have no idea if that's right. If it's a buyer's or a seller's market, it's always. 
I feel like it's always both. But everybody I know has become a realtor in the last couple of years. So I guess it's a it's a seller's market. I don't know. I'm dumb. I, I have no idea what I'm talking about. Uh, on, in a similar vein, I've had a bunch of questions from people who want to know about the snow globe. And if you're listening to the podcast, there are some people who you know didn't listen to the radio show or don't follow the site and just have started listening to the podcast recently. I have this cardinal bird snow globe. It's not Louisville specific, but an aunt of mine gave it to me for Christmas like, I don't know, eight or nine years ago. And I brought it out a few Januarys ago. And ever since then, whenever I bring the snow globe out, Louisville goes on a big run. We have a fantastic January. Here's the issue with the snow globe. Because I don't, like, when I write about this stupid shit for Card Chronicle, when I talk about this stupid shit on here, like, it's, this is legitimate. This is how dumb I am. I really do all this stuff. Like, I shake the shit out of the snow globe when, we're, when we need a big rally. The handle's pretty much broken at this point. Like, it is a snow globe that's not supposed to be shaken the way that we've been shaking it in this house for the last few years. So, I don't know. I, I brought it out before the Florida State game, but I left it in the basement. It's usually upstairs, prominently placed. My wife hates it, but I tell her, this is what you married into. This is your life now. You have to accept these sort of things. Is it time to bring the snow globe upstairs, Dan? Um, I would say so. I'd say Saturday warrants a bring the snow globe upstairs because if we lose three in a row, shit's going to hit the fan. Um, so yeah, I mean, desperate times call for desperate measures. Uh, I don't know. You got to switch up the, you got to switch it up sometimes. Like last night I, I switched seats on the couch when we made a run. Um, I don't know, whatever you can do to help the team from our couch, please do. Yeah, I, I think it's it's coming upstairs. I busted out. We have these little like fake U of L candles that I put in the bedroom sometimes. Uh, batteries didn't work. That's on me. Mary told me to take them back downstairs because we've lost two in a row. Um, so I think snow globe candles come down. Snow globe comes up. We'll see how this plays on Saturday. If it works, it, we're staying there for the rest of January. I like this question from Josh Mark, who um, he's got a, a really cool U of L uh, stats app. Uh, I've linked it a couple of times on Card Chronicle. You can check it out there. But he said. How do you all feel about changing the rule to advance the ball after timeouts in late game situations like they have in the NBA? So basically, if you have to go the length of the court with a second left and you have a timeout left, you can call that timeout and then you're inbouncing the ball, I guess, closer to midcourt. Um, I have an opinion on this. I, w- I want to hear your thoughts first, Dan. I don't like it. Um, in the NBA, I'm totally fine with it because I've, I guess I've gotten used to it in the NBA. Um, but like part of like the college heroics is like the dribble down the court, make a play at the last moment like that. You know, there, there wouldn't be any more like Tyus Edney or Villanova, you know, winning shot in the national title game. That's kind of what makes college basketball you know, special to me. So uh, I wouldn't want to see it. I'm 100 percent with you. And, and I don't like it in the NBA either. I feel like it's I think Mike DeCourcy used this phrase a few years back, but it's it's manufactured drama. It's you're not earning the advantage that you get. Like, like you're not doing anything to get that better space. It'd be like if you had the ball at the, at your own 45 yard line late in the game of, of, in the NFL, and you got to take a timeout and just move the ball up 25 yards to kick a, to kick a, to be able to kick a field goal. Like, I think that that's, I mean, I, that would obviously be a ridiculous rule. I think it's equally ridiculous in basketball and I don't like it. I, I would not like to see that rule happen. Um, I don't know. Uh, some of these other questions we got to save for that they'll be more apl- applicable for uh, Saturday's game. But a lot of people were asking beforehand about the, you know, is this team peaking too early, the February, March swoon? I'm glad we can finally buck that narrative. I mean, it's the one good 
thing about losing a couple of unexpected games in January is we don't have to do the whole, uh, does Chris Mack, do his teams play too well in December, January? Um, maybe now we can reverse it and get back to the old days where we're peaking at the right time. Yeah, I mean, we have we got plenty of season left. I mean, we have lost two in a row, but obviously, I, I mean, the fact that Florida State wasn't ranked was um, kind of ridiculous. I, I think they're probably a top 15 team, in my opinion, at least, that I've seen. Um, at least, like, their peak basketball is, like, them playing at their best. Um, but we got plenty of season left. I, I, I still like this team. I like the pieces that they have. Um, but, I mean, we just – we need to see them put it together for 40 minutes just to know that they're capable of doing that. It is the, – the reason main reason Florida State is not ranked, and you assume they're going to be next week if they don't lose this weekend. Uh, they lost a home game to Central Florida – you know who's playing for Central Florida this year? Darius. Darius Perry. Um, I think he's averaging – he was coming off the bench the last I saw, but I think he's averaging about 10 a game. So at least we have somebody with Louisville ties who can beat Florida State at something. Um, God, I mean, when you think about – again, like, you forget, like, they tried to fight friend of the program, Ryan McMahon, yeah, last year. Like, we're, we're letting them get away with all this stuff. I want to play them if there is a normal ACC, ACC tournament. I know they're a bad matchup for us. I know they're one of the best teams in the conference. I would love to play them again just because we got to beat these guys at some point. They have become very, very obnoxious. And if we do play them again, if we get that far, knock on wood, hopefully Malik Williams is back by then. And, God, we really could have used Malik, especially the last two games, but especially last night. I mean, he's exactly what we need as a post presence, someone that communicates on defense. I mean, and shout out to him in the huddle. Uh, he was literally like another coach out there. You could see there was a defensive breakdown where Sam and David Johnson looked like they might have lost their man in transition, led to an open three. Um, and he was not having any excuses, you know, by either of them over on the sideline. So it's nice to see him engage. Um, I really hope that he makes it back this year. I, I don't think we have any update on his status, but man, we could really use a healthy Malik. Yeah, and he was, I mean, he there was the clip of him before the game, like screaming and going, you know how badly he wanted that. I mean, he was trying to fight Florida State last year after that game where he got hurt yeah that's second. where he got hurt 100 and we, he was playing so good too which is like such a shame yeah it's uh yeah it, it sucks um last shout out from the game last night we should mention the fact that gabe wisnitzer was about to get dunked on and just absolutely shoved the guy the guy out of the way <laughs> it was like the only i was like, I was like get the hell out. Like two minutes left of the game garbage time i'm like not today florida state not not this time and it was a walk-on and I think he ended up missing both free throws. So Gabe Wisnitzer, MVP of last night. Uh, J.J. Trainer, on the other hand. <laughs> oh, boy, yeah. I, he needs to call his buddy Jordan up in Milwaukee after back-to-back years of posterizing by Florida State. I mean, that I you could tell that he was, like, he kind of recognized it late, and he was slow and rotating. I was like, just don't jump up. He jumped. Yeah, it, the Florida State stuff, it's kind of like, remember a few years ago when uh, the Clemson basketball lost? They lost like seven or eight games in two years on legitimate buzzer beaters. Not like last second shots, but like balls in the air, horn goes off, they lose. And everybody was saying, you know, their sports gods made a deal with the devil because the football team was winning all these lucky games. It's sort of like we have a reverse thing going where, you know, we've kicked the shit out of Florida State in football a couple of times. And now Florida State just, I, like Malik Osborne's ducking on J.J. Trainer. Uh, our NBA draft pick Jordan War is getting baptized. Like 
they're just not not only beating us, they're humiliating us, and it's getting very obnoxious. But anyways, uh, enough with that. We do remind you guys, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, please do wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, give us a rating. Give us a review. We read the reviews in the pod. We still have way too many since Apple did that weird kind of like dropped 15 out of nowhere that were backlogged. We have way too many to read on one episode, but I'll get to as many as I can. Uh, <clears throat> Louisville Cards fan, creative name, says, a must listen for U of L fans. I'm writing this review solely because Mike tells us to every pod. Go Ka. That's well done. Uh, we love references to the actual podcast. Um, no nicknames left Al says, a fun podcast by two guys who love the cards but don't take it too seriously. In the grand scheme of things, when the world seems to be a mess, Damn this podcast it. escape. Also, this is my first written review of any podcast and was done solely because Mike is always willing to call Dan out for his mispronunciations. Do you like that? You were a little bit upset that I called you out for Sheem for a second time, but people really enjoyed it. Yeah, I've seen some some people reference it on Twitter. Now we got it in the reviews. I mean, I'm trying, people. I'm trying, okay? That's uh, Vocab is not my strong point. Ja West says, can't miss content. Mike is a 502 legend, and Dumpster Dan is electric. And then Church Bell Balls, another reference to a, a previous podcast story, says, the Dairy Castle slander must stop. I'm as big a Dairy Queen Blizzard guy as the next, but how do you guys go through your list of type ice creams and don't mention the ice cream flurry from Dairy Castle when you can make your own uh, chocolate ice cream chocolate ice cream, cookie dough pieces, and Reese's Cups? You're welcome. We did, we did say that. I think ever since we said... We're going to make getting a blizzard after every win a thing. We haven't won a game, so maybe we need yeah. to dial that back. But here's a full admission. I've only been to Dairy Castle one time in my life. I was about, I was almost embarrassed to say, I was like, confession time. I've never been. And it's not that oh, I don't wow. want to. I just, I like, you know, I, I didn't go to Louisville for college. I don't, I, you know, not that I'd never get down to that part of town, but I just really... I haven't been there in a while, but I promise if I'm there next time, I will try Dairy Castle because I've heard great things. Here's the deal. If Louisville wins an ACC title this year, if they win regular season on the men's side, which is now looking a little bit tougher, or they win the tournament, Live Card Chronicle podcast at Dairy Castle. A hundred percent. I will run there. I'd be so excited to do it. It's happening. Um, we should also, before we close the podcast out, give a shout. I know we focus more on the, uh, almost entirely on the men's team here, but the women, number one in the country, uh, had the start and stop. They were number two in the country for six straight weeks. Stanford loses to Colorado in overtime on Sunday. That knocks UVL up to number one for the first time in program history. Uh, the men's side was number one for that, I think, was it just a week last year, maybe two weeks last year. But Jeff Walton and company, top of the hill. That's awesome. They're going to play a pretty good Syracuse team on Thursday night, defending that number one ranking for the first time. We love Coach Walls. Congratulations to him. That was, that's awesome. And I, that, I was surprised they had never been number one before. But, I mean, God, the, the, what Jeff Walls has done with that program, it really is it's, it's astonishing. And they're super fun. I mean, they get up and down. They score a bunch. They've got uh, a bunch of exciting young players. Dana Evans maybe the most valuable player in the country. Haley Van Lith maybe the most exciting freshman in the country. Uh, they are a, a whole load of fun, and they're clearly capable of winning a national title this year, which if, if the women's side wins a national title, we'll also do a live show at Dairy Castle. We'll do, we'll do multiple shows at Dairy Castle if either of these things happen. But uh, big thanks to everybody for listening. As always, we're going to be back on, I think, Thursday. If not Thursday, then definitely Friday, talking about the Duke game, taking some more questions. So until we talk to you guys again, go Cards. Heads up, people.